2: This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by Nick Pilato. It is 3.15 a.m. here on the East Coast time. We don't sleep in April, baby. We sleep in May. This is the Giants draft, baby. And So we wanted to get this out there because, look, tomorrow is a big day for the Giants. It's day two of the draft. They currently have three picks, one coming right up at 36 overall unless they trade back. Though so Joe Shane did make mention tonight of kind of how it's a little bit easy because they pick right at the beginning of day two and they kind of have a board and they got guys. And so I don't foresee them trading back, but it could happen. It's definitely possible. So we wanted to go over our day two targets who's at the top of my wish list, who's at the top of Nick's wish list. We'll touch a little bit about some players who might still be on the board in round three who are going to be interested in. We also want to talk about some comments Joe Shane made about the state of the offensive line, about the state of the cornerback position with James Bradbury. And I want to talk a little bit about the first day of the draft and how that sets up for the second day. So let's start there, Nick. I'm going to give you a little quick recap of day one by the numbers. Nine teams had two picks in the first round. That's the most in the common draft ever. Era. Six wide receivers were drafted in the top 20. That's the most in the common draft error. It was the first time a quarterback was drafted 20th or later since 1997. And then obviously this one, which we kind of expected five first round defenders from Georgia, most by a school in the common draft era, And after multiple teams traded, there were eight teams that had first round picks in the 2022 draft and, and nine, it ended up being nine teams. So nine teams selected 19 of the 32 players in the first round, crazy numbers.
1: I think we understood that Georgia would probably select a lot of the players in this draft. The six wide receivers, I mean, there was a wide receiver run and that kind of dictated that, early middle part of the draft right because once drake london went off the board then the jets went garrett wilson and then i feel like a lot of teams were like oh we we like you know we like this guy we like that guy the lions are like screw it we're trading all the way up and we're getting jameson williams i don't care about his torn acl (laughs) and it just seemed like a lot of them started coming off the board and dude i don't know if i said this on previous podcasts but i thought it like the entire pre-draft cycle Did Chris Olave not just strike you as I'm going to be a New Orleans Saint?
2: I didn't get that feel because I really thought the Saints were going to go in a way different direction. That's a good take by you because it turned out being a great take and a great feel. I thought the Saints were I had no idea what they were doing when they got that second first round pick. And they uh, before the draft of the Eagles, then they traded up in this draft to get Olave. I was convinced that they were trading up for a quarterback there. And I just was totally wrong. What made you feel like the Alave to Saints fit made the most sense to you? To me, well, a, I
1: figured they needed a playmaker, which is something that a lot of people made that point, And that makes sense. But it just seemed like I could see him in the black and gold okay. scoring touchdowns in the Superdome. It was just one of those things that didn't necessarily, like it wasn't a uh, realization that I came through just from a schematic standpoint. It was just like, that guy looks like he fits as a New Orleans <laughs> <laughs> and, it, it, was know, it was an aesthetic.
2: Take, it was aesthetic take,
1: man. It was purely aesthetic. And <laughs> I gotta say, like that area of the draft was fascinating, though. Like after the Giants went Evan Neal, because I'm like, yeah, man, we got Kayvon Thibodeau, we got Evan Neal, and then you see Drake London go off the board. You're like, all right, I guess the wide receivers will start coming off the board. And then almost wide receiver, wide receiver, huge trade up for wide receiver. And then you're like, wow, there's some value falling. And then Jordan Davis goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, and Kyle Hamilton ends up going to the Ravens. I feel like the Ravens are always just like, we're going to sit here. And then the draft just kind of falls to them. And they get Kyle Hamilton. And I think he's going to fit excellently in Mike McDonald's game as a safety. He's not going to play the Daxton Hill role in the slot.
2: And I really like what the Ravens did after that by trading to get another first round pick by trading Hollywood Brown, who I don't know if you heard this, but after the draft, Steve Smith obliterated Hollywood Brown on live air on NFL Network. It was wild to listen to. He was basically like, he doesn't have the dog in him. You watch this guy. He cannot beat press man coverage. He basically called him a gadget player who, has net, who doesn't have the dog in him to beat press man coverage. And I've heard some things that John Harbaugh was not a big fan of Marquise Brown there. So I think the Ravens did a good job getting back that kind. I mean, they gave up one too, which is not that big of a deal. But they were able to get Tyler Linder Brown, who I don't know if he perfectly fits that system. I guess we'll find out. But, you know. He's Linderbaum. He was projected as the best center in this class. He is the best center in this class. And I think he could probably fit that system. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, Linderbaum's falling. And, of course, the Ravens get him. Same thing with Hamilton. They took two players who people think are two of the best players in this class, and they got him at 14 and whatever in the late 20s. I want to talk about what the Eagles did, trading up for Jordan Davis. That presents an issue for me because, and again, out of all the things the NFC East teams this is what's get, did this night, this is what scares me the most. He's, I understand he never played more than 40% of the snaps in college. And he's an IDL, which I'm not a big fan of trading up for, let alone drafting that early. But he is a freak of nature. To be able to move the way he moves at that size, it's going to pr- cause problems for John freaking Feliciano, Mark Lewinsky, and whoever the hell lines up at left guard. It's going to cause immediate problems. I hope they didn't just find their next Fletcher Cox. They very
1: well might have, Dan. They very well might have. And Fletcher Cox is an absolute stud. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to have the career of Fletcher Cox, but Jordan Davis is going to be a load. Like the first thing I thought of when I heard that Jordan Davis was going to be a Philadelphia Eagle was, well, that sucks for every interior offensive lineman that's not a Philadelphia Eagle in the NFC East. And that includes our respected and loved New York Giants interior offensive line. A lot of new faces there. So that's something that I'm not necessarily thrilled with. And then you could talk about the trade that happened a little bit later on with the Philly, Philadelphia Eagles. And that one sucks to have AJ Brown on the division, Dan, but they're going to have to pay him. So there is a nice little consolation prize for that because it's going to eat up a nice chunk of their cap. Cause obviously they're going to lock him down now because you're not going to trade that for a one year rental.
2: Yeah. This is one of those deals that on paper, it's like, Oh wow. This might not be that good for the Eagles. Cause they have to pay him. Look, the pick was used on Traylon Burks. Who's kind of has some AJ Brown similarities. But the reality of the situation is, these are proven players versus unproven players. There's a lot of hype right now surrounding everybody who gets drafted. and Yes, I understand there's a big ceiling for Traylon Burks, a big ceiling for any of these rookies, but they may not realize that ceiling. This is a realized asset when it comes to A.J. Brown. He's immediately an alpha, impossible to defend on the outside wide receiver when healthy at 24 years old that now the Giants need to match up against. And right now, when you face the Eagles, you can put a Dory Jackson against Devontae Smith. Yes, Devontae, not Devontae. You can put a Dory Jackson against Devontae Smith. But who the hell are you going to put against A.J. Brown? James Bradbury, if he's still on the roster? So let's get to that. Let's get to the James Bradbury comments tonight from Joe Shane. Because James Bradbury, obviously, has been on the trade block. Did not show up to voluntary OTAs. But I think that was kind of agreed on by both sides. But was not traded tonight and according to shane and this is his quote not getting a corner on day one does not impact james at all per shane he said that doesn't impact james at all i've said it all along there are contingency plans we still have three picks tomorrow night a fourth two fifths and a sixth there are plenty of picks to be had what do you make Mm -hmm. of that comment with regards to how the giants fuse james bradbury's future with the team And what's going on and what they plan to do at corner moving forward in this draft?
1: Well, I think Joe Shane has made it clear that he doesn't want to really extend players. They had to do that with Adore Jackson, and that's all well and good. I don't necessarily expect them to do that with James Bradbury. I think James Bradbury is going to be shopped. I think they're going to look to trade him. I don't know what they're going to get for James Bradbury, but the fact that he's not going to be there, and even if he was there with his current contract, The Giants are looking to invest in cornerbacks. We've spoken extensively, Dan on the importance of the cornerback position in Don Wink Martindale's scheme. And there's still some pretty interesting cornerbacks that are on the board. One that we didn't expect to be there despite the injury. He has the core muscle surgery. And that is obviously Clemson cornerback, Andrew Booz Jr. Who could be a target for the Giants at 36.
2: And we'll talk about some targets at 36. We're going to leave that off for now, but I'll take this away saying this. I go back and forth on Bradbury because I think he's still a really good player. I think he still has some of the best spatial awareness of any quarterback I've seen on the Giants in a long time. I wonder and I worry if he's a fit for the system. But I also know that they could bring in some guy like Booth or like Gordon or whoever, who's a quote unquote fit for the system, but is also a rookie has also never played against or proven anything against this level of competition and could come in and get burned and can come in and really struggle in year one. We've seen a lot of corners struggle, not just corners who were just elected at 36 overall. Jeffrey Okuda was selected in the top five. He's really struggled. There's been some injury problems there. I get it. But the second round corners, the third round corners, there are no locks to so just come in. And just because they may fit the system be better than what James Bradbury and not quote unquote, not fit for the system can be. And I get it. Look, we're not playing for 2022, quote unquote, but they're still got to line up and play on Sundays, Nick, and they're still going to look to win football games. And it's possible the Giants can take a jump. We've seen plenty of teams take crazy jumps from one year to the next. So I don't know, man. I starting to feel like make some room, figure it out and keep Bradbury at this point, or at least don't let it impact what you're going to do on day two. Or day three don't have, you know, and I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't foresee Joe Shane at any point being a Dave Gettleman type drafter. We know Dave Gettleman had massive, in, you know, when he saw a need, he went and he filled it. That was his goal. He wanted to fill needs. He claimed, oh, I'm BPA, I'm this and that, but he went out and he burned a freaking top 60 pick on Sam Beal. That's all you need to know from that. And that I don't foresee being the case with Joe Shane. So I don't think it's going to impact. I think he's right. I don't think he's lying. I think he's telling the truth here. But I'm starting to warm up to the idea of Bradbury. What are your thoughts on potentially ripping up the Bradbury contract and redoing it and adding on some years given his age? And, you know, as you've mentioned, potential nonfit for the system. So, I'm not
1: a cap expert or anything like that, but if they can realistically make it work, I would be for it. I don't think he's the best fit for the system but I don't think that means he won't be an effective player within the system. I think his best fit has always been a zone type of cornerback. I thought that when the giants signed him out of Carolina, which was a zone predominant defense because his route recognition and his click and close on routes underneath him is excellent. Now when he is in man coverage and the assignment is that player and he has to stick with that player, I still feel like he is good, but it's not excellent. Whereas that's where I feel like he can be in a zone system. So that's kind of why I, we say that he's not the best fit for the system. It doesn't mean he can't be solid or good in the system. I think it all comes down to the economics, though. And if they can make it work, I'm not opposed to it. But at the same time, if they can trade him right now and get a third-round pick, I'm obviously for that. But what about a fourth or fifth-round pick? That's where I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure. But at the end of the day, they need to clear cap space in order to sign these rookies. You know, and that's something that's going to have to happen. How are you going to effectively do that if he's still on the roster, unless you do get really creative and restructure him?
2: Yeah, or do something to kind of redo some of those other young player deals, maybe in Dory Jackson, again, something like that. But I guess they've kind of already gone to the well there, so there's not really much more they can do there. So maybe in the end, it's not really much of a choice in the first place, and they do have to move on from It's just a matter of if they're going to get anything back or just have to simply move on and get nothing or like some kind of sixth. Or seventh round pick or future consideration like next year, supplement or a conditional pick, something of that nature. I will say this with Bradbury I do agree with you, but there were glaring examples on tape last year of when he was asked to be in situations he's going to be in in the new defense and he simply got burned over the top because he doesn't have the foot speed anymore. Or maybe he never did, but I think it's more anymore. And that's what scares me the most. Is he a player who's trending down? There's some examples on tape last year that would suggest that he is, especially if he's then asked to move out of a predominantly zoned system into predominantly man coverage system. Is that going to exasperate a lot of what he showed on tape could be an issue could be, you know, is this a player that's wearing down? Is this a player that's not the same player he used to be from a speed standpoint or a straight line speed standpoint? And so that worries me as far as ripping up the new deal. I think I'm, more I think about it, I think I'm out on that. I think I'm out on ripping up the new deal, adding more years, adding more cap hit, adding future cap hit, dead cap, et cetera, et cetera, if they need to cut him. But, you know, it's interesting because they didn't come away with a corner on day one, and if Bradbury is moved on from, whether it doesn't matter, let's say for now it's not important to focus on what they get back, what's really left to play outside corner for the Giants on, in week one of the 22 season? You know, opposite of Dory Jackson, you're going to try out Aaron Robinson there because if not, you have to use one of these rookies whenever you draft him, right? Or, I mean, there is still the free agent market, they could kind of find someone, I guess, who gets cut or something later in camp, just to, you know, like uh, kind of what they did a couple years ago with the kid, um, the kid for, for the kid from Denver who I'm now blanking on his name, um, Isaac Yidam. Isaac Yidam, yeah, exactly. So maybe yeah. that's the option too.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: And that could be an option. I mean, the trade market will be there. You know, there's going to be players, veteran players who will be released that you can pick up maybe some from Buffalo who have familiarity with, the front office right now with Joe Shane I also think there are guys in this draft that you can also target and that we'll probably get into here in a little bit and I think that's going not necessarily be a priority I think as you said earlier I don't think the Giants are going to be irrational and and select players that don't necessarily have the highest grade just because they need to fill a need I think Aaron Robinson can play outside cornerback and it forms a a young adequate cornerback room with the dory jackson and aaron robinson still something that you probably want to add another body to it specifically if one of those guys get injured who the heck else is going to play outside cornerback for you jerron williams seems like he's a safety just in general if you look at the secondary room right now dan it's definitely seems like there's some needs there that need to be addressed with at least one of the three picks that they possess tomorrow
2: yeah and it's crazy because we talked about it last offseason it's like a position of strength, a position of a ton of depth. And then right. poof, in one offseason, Peppers is gone. Logan Ryan is gone. Uh, potentially James Bradbury is gone. So it really changed super fast for them. And I wonder how they view Darnay Holmes, because I do think Darnay Holmes has some potential if they view Aaron Robinson as an outside option to be something for them in the slot within the system. But, he obviously fell a little bit out of favor of the last coaching staff, so I'm just curious to see if he may be someone who they view as an asset. And I guess a lot of that will be determined by what they do uh, with these next two days of draft picks.
1: Hey, he's still a cheap contract, and you know their skill set there that has translated to the NFL in terms of being a really good athlete, somebody who can play man coverage. He gets a little grabby in and out of breaks, but you slide him into the slot, and he has some good film. And I feel like he was coming on last year before he ended up getting injured, had an interception against Philadelphia. And I think he's a player that, you know, you don't want to rely on, obviously, as an outside guy, but somebody who can definitely fit into maybe your dime package and and be a solid contributor who's also, pound for pound, a pretty solid tackler, Dan. I mean, he's somebody who's not that big, and he throws his weight around pretty well.
2: Yeah, 100% right. And let's talk a little bit about something Shane said with regards to the offensive line, because he was asked about the offensive line. And they asked him, Will the Giants be interested? Or I'm sorry, they asked him if they if, if Shane feels like the offensive line is a lot better, or if he's figured it out, or if it's there. And he said, "Look, we haven't been in pads yet. I hope so, but again, there's going to be competition across all positions. And I feel like we've upgraded it a lot from when I was he, from where I was here. We have four or five offensive linemen since uh, since I got here. And we've added some veterans we really like: Jamil Douglas, Gar- Max Garcia, John Feliciano, and Mark Lewinsky. He says I'm really happy with those guys." especially that interior group. I think it's an interesting group and we have some interior depth. And he says and Matt pair, when he comes back, all of a sudden, I think we could potentially be operating from his position of strength at that position. Does that tell you anything about what they might do on day two regarding investing in more offensive linemen?
1: I think they're definitely looking at investing more offense. Look a year from now, Dan, who's under contract on the interior offensive line that you feel comfortable with.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, Mark Lewinsky would probably be the only one.
1: That Yeah, exactly. Mark Lewinsky signed the three-year deal, and then everybody else was a one-year deal, and then you have the Shane Lemieux and the Ben Bredisons of the world.
2: I'm telling you, dude, for, for whatever reason,
1: and it's not just because he's best friends with Andrew Thomas, but I just have this feeling, and I like this player a lot, Jamari Sollier out of Georgia is going to be a target for the New York Giants at some point. I don't think that will be at 36, but possibly at 67 or 81 depending on how they value them. And there's a lot of those Sean Ryans and Darian Canards and players like that, Sean Ryan from UCLA, Darian Canard from Kentucky, all these players that were all tackles in college who will more than likely be kicked inside to play guard. I think they're going to have their eye on Saul. you someone who's a proven player who has played all five positions in college against the best competition in the SEC and helped sec win or help georgia win a national championship down there he just seems like the kind of player that would appeal to them and i think he's going to be a target
2: that's interesting and i definitely like that call and as far as i'm concerned i'm not exactly reading into this the idea that jane shane is saying look we think it's an interesting group and we finally have some interior depth but i will say this nick as i look through the board and my board i don't love what i see available to me on the offensive line at 36 overall And I don't know if I love anything, even trade if they trade back into like, let's say the forties, the fifties, I don't really like anything there either. To be honest, it didn't fall well for them. Tyler Smith, who was going to be my top target at 36, the Cowboys nabbed his ass. They got him at 25 and people call that a reach. We'll see. I don't think so. We'll see, but I definitely don't think so. I'm a big fan of Tyler Smith. I thought he was a better player than, than Trevor Penning, to be completely honest. And Kenyon Green, a player who we thought, oh man, maybe Kenyon Green will fall to 36 and we could snap him up as our top target. Bang, he goes early in the draft. And obviously Zion Johnson, we didn't really think had a chance to go to the Giants at 36, but some people mocked him outside round one. Bang, he goes in round one. So with what's left of this group, I'm with you. I do like the Ryans of the world. I do like the Toms. I do like the guys you mentioned. Even some, even even the kid from Georgia, who, like you said, has a connection. But more so, I like them at 66 or 81. At 36, I just don't see any guys I really like on the offensive line outside of Bernard Raymond. And Raymond, some people are saying is falling because of the, the medicals. And is he even does he even really have the body type to play guard for the Giants? That is also something that concerns me.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that can concern you. And the Giants obviously already invested in an offensive tackle. And this is an older
2: player who
1: has a lot of development maybe to still incur, but he's on the upward trajectory to where he's went from being a tight end to an effective offensive tackle with good tape against SEC competition. I know he played at Central Michigan, but you watch his LSU tape, it's pretty damn good. But, man, I'm looking at the pick 36, dude, and I'm sure we'll get into this in a little bit. There are a lot of defensive players that I look at and I say – It's very interesting. And there's also a quarterback that's on the board that not a lot of people expected to be on the board. And that's a whole nother conversation that we can dive into in a little bit.
2: Yeah, let's do it now. So again, we'll get into these, these wish lists that Nick and I both have. We'll get into both of ours, but I'm looking at yours now, Nick, for the first time. And I'm looking at mine and again, not pretty on the offensive line. The good news is. We just talked about their needs in the secondary, and there are a lot of interesting corners left, which I didn't think there was going to be at one point because there was a little run on corners, and then it quieted down, which was great for the Giants. And there's also still a lot of these safeties we really like, though. Ugh, it was so annoying for me to see. Like, I had my wish list all written out, ready to tweet out, and then the two guys who were two, number two and three in my wish list go 31-32, and 32, Dax Hill and Lewis Sign. It sucked. It was like good picks. Good job by these guys. Maybe they would have gotten the first five picks tomorrow anyway, so shouldn't have got my hopes up. But it was disappointing for me to see those two guys go off the board. But and let's so, dive in. Yeah, go. So ahead. funny
1: that that happened to you because it happened to me too, Dan. I <laughs> yeah. literally had the tweet written out, and I was just like, "All right, Daxton Hill, you're done. Lewis Sign, you yeah. are done." I was a little bit pissed about that. Now you just kind of you're left with Jaquan Brisker and, and Jalen Petrie for the safety position.
2: Yeah, both guys who made my wish list. So let's get into this right now. Wish list for 36, overall, for 36 overall, as it stands today. Number one on my wish list: Leo Chennault, the linebacker out of Wisconsin. I'm sure anyone who's listened to this podcast long enough knows that's not a surprise. I think he's a unicorn prospect. 99th percentile athlete, 98th percentile production profile. Key on the production profile, Pro Football Focus said he was their third highest graders run defender ever. And the stats show it. The tape shows it. He had eight sacks. He graded out really well as a pass rusher. He had a grade similar to TJ Watt in his final season as a pass rusher at Wisconsin. This is my guy. This is the guy I want, number one at 36. Who's the number one guy on your wish list?
1: My number one guy, I like Leo Chanel a lot. I like Nakobe Dean a lot. I think my number one guy, and I know he's injured, might be Andrew Booth Jr., because I think you're getting a first round value with an injury that probably won't hinder him too much up until. Maybe week one. I'm not a doctor, so I can't really weigh in on that. But this was just a core muscle surgery injury. I don't know if it's going to be as serious as Aaron Robinson's was, which seemed to be pretty serious and held him out for the first half of his rookie season. But I feel like you're getting a a top thirty player at thirty six, and I. Like what I've seen from Andrew Booth Jr. I think he played in a system that doesn't necessarily show his man coverage skills because he was in zone a lot. But if you watch him move and you see his fluidity, you think maybe he can translate into more of a man coverage type of scheme. And you get a top three cornerback, in my opinion, at 36. I think I'd sign up for that.
2: Yeah, Booth's up there on my list, too. I put him at three only because of the medicals. I, in addition to core muscle surgery, I've heard there's some concerns about the knees. I don't know oh, where okay. that comes from, but I have heard that. But I will say this. He was one of our first draft profiles, and you nailed it, man. You watched this guy play, and it all agreed. It's a lot of projection because he did play in a mostly zone system, but some of these guys you turn on, you watch them. I felt this way with Asante Samuel Jr. last year when we watched him. for. We did a draft profile on him. The Chargers stole his ass in the second round. You can just see it. You can just know that these guys have traits that translate, and I agree with you. When you watch Booth, it looked really good, and it looked like this could be – a boundary corner at the next level, and those guys are rare. I thought in this class, the only two I was convinced can definitely do it were the first two that went off the board. I was not a McDuffie fan by any means, but that does get me into a player who was number five on my wish list. Because number two, I had Ray, uh, Bernard Raymond. If the Giants feel like he can play on the interior, because I do still love Raymond. as a tackle, I'm a big Raymond guy. I understand the age is an issue. But I just love how quickly he transitioned from tight end to offensive off tackle and then look the way he did at offensive tackle despite not playing there often. So that, to me, just rang a bell in my head. But I'll go into another corner who I have at five here is Kyler Gordon out of Washington. If you look at the numbers with Gordon, and I think I'm to give credit to Joel Goodberry, who tweeted this out, and I'm trying to find this tweet now, but it's going to be tough to find given all of what we've tweeted on draft day. But Gordon, I believe, had a 90.8% coverage grade which was the second or third best in this entire class in man coverage they split up all the corners and he split up their pff grades by man coverage and by zone coverage and then how many snaps they had in both and although obviously washington plays a very zone heavy system there and he comes from washington the huskies when he was asked to play man coverage he was really freaking good at man coverage and you watch him and you see a guy who could potentially be that boundary corner at the next level. So I think Kyler Gordon is up there for me. He's number five on my list.
1: I love that call, to be honest. He's had some impressive interceptions in this past season in 2021. I think it was against Cal. I don't have it in front of me. But I think if you put him in a more man coverage system in college, you would we would be discussing him a lot more, but just because he played in washington it's much more zone oriented we don't really see but you see the movement skills and when he showed up to the combine he didn't test all that well i was like oh damn i thought he was going to test a lot better than that because you see just how explosive he is in and out of his breaks and how fluid he is covering wide receivers in and out of their breaks and just the body control and how he doesn't lose any momentum when he explodes in whatever direction i really really appreciate what i saw especially at all three levels of the field even at the line of scrimmage and you can also align him in the slot did that quite a bit so was a big kyler gordon fan would not mind that at all have him right there with andrew booth jr
2: let's get into another player on your wish list at 36 we haven't mentioned who do you want to go with
1: yeah so if we're gonna go with somebody i think i'm gonna go with jaquan brisker the safety out of penn state we have brought him up a lot recently on the podcast and brisker is somebody that i feel like you can use interchangeably with xavier mckinney and what i mean by that is You're not going to be limited from a defensive playbook standpoint, Don Wink Martindale, because you can drop Brisker into the box. If you need to, you can put him as an overhang defender. You can put him in the post as a single high middle of the field, close safety, or you can have him play the deep half. You could do all of those same things with Xavier McKinney. They can execute just about every assignment you ask them to do reasonably as a safety and not a lot of safeties in the NFL have that kind of interchangeability, but I think Brisker has that. Now he's a little bit older. He's about 23 years old, but this is somebody I still feel like is going to step in and be an impact player year one. And I really appreciate that. I like Jalen Petrie a lot. I think Brisker might offer just a little bit more than Jalen Petrie. I like them both, but if I had to pick one of them and I think it would upgrade the secondary pretty significantly on the back end, it would be Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State.
2: Yeah, both Brisker and Petrie are on my wish list as well. Petrie comes in at four, Brisker at six. I do think you're onto something there that Brisker offers more versatility, and he offers the interchangeability. I'm going with Petrie a little bit higher just because when I watch them, I feel like Petrie has a better chance of hitting and less chance of a bust. I think what he does, he does really, really well, which is line up in the slot and play from that position. And he's gonna be and the Giants need that, by the way. The Giants don't really have that besides Xavier McKinney. He's the only safety I trust there, especially Javille Peppers has gone. And even so, people had their reservations with Peppers when it comes to covering from the slot and playing within the slot. I think Petrie can do that. I think he's immediate. I thought he was a first round player. I think he dropped because he's somewhat limited in what he can do. And that speaks a little bit to what you uh kind of just touched on with brisker how brisker can be that interchangeable safety i don't think is going to be the interchangeable safety i think he's going to be in the slot that's his position but to me right now slot is a huge position in the nfl on the defensive side of the ball and more so i just feel like he is more of a lock to actually not miss here and so he's number four for me i really like him get into another player there's a few players I want to touch on uh, maybe someone from your list this guy comes all the way down at number 11 for me on my list and I, I put out a second tweet where I have my like 9 through 15 wish list um, I had the top seven in the first one and let's talk about Nicobe Dean because Nicobe Dean's gonna be the number one player on on a lot of Giants fans draft board right now at 36 overall because he was projected the whole time to go in the first round I have some I let me start by saying this I think I could be dead wrong on the Kobe Dean, but I'm a little still, I'm still a little shell shocked from Patrick queen busting within that Raven system with McBarnedale just a few years ago when the Ravens took queen in the first round. And I had just from watching the two players, I thought queen was a better player than Dean. And I think they're similar players, but I thought queen had more athleticism translating to the next level, which I have concerns with when it comes to Dean, will his athleticism translate to the next level? You talked about it, Nick. He didn't test at the combine. I see it on tape. He's small out there. He's really, really small out there. I think Lori Lori Fitzpatrick, who we had on the podcast, showed this picture when she did her breakdown of Quay Walker, who she really liked, and she did a nice film breakdown on him that I watched and read because it was interesting. Showed a picture of them two next to each other. And Quay Walker next to Kobe Dean, it is insane to look at the difference in just height and size between those two players. So I have my some concerns because we already kind of saw Patrick Queen, a similar prospect, busting within that Wink Martindale defense and the Kobe Dean played behind one of the most elite defensive lines you'll ever see at the collegiate level on that Georgia defense. How much of what we saw was a product of him playing behind that line. He's not going to get that line in the next level. The Giants have a pretty good lineup front with Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, but they're going against real offensive lines every week with a ton of size and where the advantage isn't as vast as it was for that Georgia defensive line versus every offensive line that they faced. Okay, so that's also a concern. But how about this? Something that you know, I have, I don't, I haven't seen discussed as much. But when it comes to Dean, we had that interview with Ken. It's Ken McCusick, right? That's how you pronounce his last name. Yes, Ken McCusick, who breaks down Ravens film. Remember, we had that interview with, uh, and when he was breaking down Wink Martindale system, and he spoke about how disappointed he was in Patrick Queen and how it just didn't work out, and they tried everything they could to make it work out, but he just didn't fit the system, and so. If you can convince me that Dean is going to be a totally different player than Queen and I'm just not seeing it right, I'm more on board with this. But I but I am still a little bit shell-shocked by that not working out and just by the reservations I have of his athleticism, his size, and how he played behind that elite defensive line.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna hold the Patrick Queen pick against Nicobe Dean. That's a Patrick Queen problem. I think there's a lot between Patrick Queen's ears, according to McCusick, at least what he was That's alluding fair. to. But I think the The length and the athleticism concerns, I think you're on to something there. I think he's a functional athlete. I think he's a good enough athlete to play in the NFL. But I do believe that modern NFL right now, when you are a linebacker who has to have a lot of length and cover a ton of ground, you're going to be asked to guard the number three receiver against three by one sets and be able to carry him vertically. I think that Kobe Dean can do that. I actually felt like he was pretty solid in coverage. I wasn't enamored by N'Kobe Dean's tackling ability within the box. I thought it was solid, but he was also playing next to Trayvon Walker, Jordan Davis, and all these other guys. If he's the pick at 36, I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to be fine with it. I'll probably like it better than, than you will, but... Ideally, I think I want a linebacker with a little bit more length. I would have wanted a Quay Walker. I would have wanted maybe a, a Chad Muma. Leo Chennault, There, he's a different type of linebacker than Nakobe than Dean. I feel like you can do more with Nakobe Dean, but I feel like Leo Chennault might be – have more to offer within the box with his size and, and just his blitzing ability. And I think Dean is an excellent blitzer as well. He showed that at Georgia and yeah, he played with a lot of good guys. That's, that's true. I still feel like that's translatable to the NFL. I have my reservations with him, but at 36, I feel like that's the right value. I just thought it was a ridiculous statement when people were mocking him to the giants at seven. Yeah,
2: that was crazy. Obviously that was never going to happen. It was I was like, Linder, it was like Linderbaum at seven. That was never going to happen either. But I me and you both, we didn't, I mean, we, I think we said it on our, on our, my guys pod. We both had Quay Walker over Nicobe Dean. I would take Leo Chanel over to Dean. I would never take a Nicobe Dean prospect over a Leo Chanel prospect. You said they can do more things with Dean, but I'm not so sure that's the case. Cause I think Chanel has a really good chance to be an effective blitzer at the next level. I'm not yeah. sold. The Kobe Dean is going to be an effective blitzer when he gets away from that Georgia defensive line. I'm just not sold on it.
1: Okay. No, I think that's, that's a solid point. It's it's I guess remains to be seen. I'm just saying I think you have a lot more upside in terms of what you can do in coverage with Nakobe D That's despite fair. despite the length and despite all of those issues because those are real issues too, man. The fact that he didn't test and I know he had a pec issue I think is a reason why he didn't test, but it it definitely is a reason why he is still available because you talk to anybody at the Georgia program and you listen to you know everybody who's plugged in. They say this dude is a true leader, consummate professional, all of those things. Everybody on the Georgia defense, we know they're very talented. They all looked up to him, all five foot 11 version of him. They all looked up to him. And I think that also is something for a team that also just won a national championship.
2: Yeah, you're not wrong. I'm going to round out my list. So I've gone Leo Chanel, Raymond, if they believe in him, Booth of the Meds, check out Petrie, Gordon, Brisker, and then Roger McCreary, the corner out of Auburn. I didn't see you list McCreary on your wish list. So what, what keeps him off of it for you?
1: Nothing keeps it off. If if you uh, looked at the tweet, it's, okay. it's in the comments. I just ran out of characters. <laughs> I, have I have him and Christian Watson. They're, they're in the comments. Okay. For me, for me, the, the wish list that I put out there was also just what I think the giants will do. I don't know where McCreary is going to go in this draft. I think his overall skill set. if this dude had 31 inch arms, this guy would have been a first round pick. But I think a lot of teams are turned off by the fact that he has sub-29-inch arms, which is very, very short in the NFL. It's going to be the zero percentile. Like, you're talking about setting new records. Just a true outlier, plug Malcolm Gladwell type of stuff right there. But – I don't know, man. If he's the pick, I'm not going to be upset, again, because I feel like you're getting a really good cornerback. I just don't know if he's going to be able to, to handle himself outside. There's nothing on his film that suggested that he couldn't. But with that arm length, there's going to be coaching staffs that are not going to want that, and there's going to be opposing coaches who are going to want to challenge that. Right. All the players are going to see that and be like, we have a rookie out there with 28 and, what, 5 inch arms or whatever the heck it is. I'm going to pick on that guy. And I know that doesn't seem like, like a big reason to pick on players, But arm length is a big deal in terms of cornerback. You're talking about game of inches there. So that's one reason, I guess, why he wasn't included. That mainly because I just ran out of characters and I had Kyler Gordon and Andrew Booth above him. And then I also had a bunch of edge rushers that I listed. I don't think the Giants will end up going edge rusher. But if you want to talk about just value of players who are available, I think Arnold Ibiketti out of Penn State, Boye Mafia out of Minnesota, and then even David Ajabo out of Michigan. Those are some really good values. Now, I would prefer the first two rather than Ajabo. But... They went with, came on Thibodeau, which makes me want to go in another direction.
2: I want to talk about that. But first, I want to touch on McCreary, who made my list at seven. Look, we had Eric Crocker on, and he loves the film of McCreary. And you do, too. And it's hard not to. You watch McCreary. I think the layman, anyone who just does this as the, the, you know, the most basic hobby, will see that this dude's sticking in coverage all the time. And so if the Giants have arm-length concerns or requirements, I get it. He's not on their board, but I don't know that. And like you mentioned, Nick, there's nothing on his film that suggests he can't do it despite the short arms. So I'm just banking on him potentially being an outlier. And all I know is he can cover. He's shown it. He's proven he can he can he can do what we need, play the boundary, and stick in coverage. And so, yeah, maybe that doesn't translate. I am a big believer in traits, but I'm not so sure. And And, again, you're banking on an outlier here, which is okay at times, but it's risky. I think I'm willing to do it from what I've seen from him, from what I've heard from the guys who know what they're talking about when it comes to pass coverage. And I get it. That's not the best process. <laughs> I don't think it is, but he's enough. It's a, It's at this stage of the draft at 36. It's a little different than banking on an outlier earlier. I think, at least I hope, but again, he's down at seven. So it's like, if the, he, there's no scenario, at least for me on my big board, where I would go with him. Now I want to get to what you said. Secondly, though. I want to bring up one
1: thing with McCrea. Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. It's not just the short arms. It's also the 455 five or whatever it was 40. I think the slow speed mm. combined with the short arms will lead teams to be like, we'll wait a little bit. But if you like them, and like I said, the film and like Crocker said, like everybody's, the film says, like, yeah, this dude has man coverage traits and he did it at the highest level in college. If you like that, take that at 36 because it's probably not going to be there for you at 67
2: yeah i don't think it'll be that seven. that's a good point though the the straight line speed is an interesting thing when it comes to trans that i'm less that i'm more worried about when it comes to translating i again i'm not a huge 40 yard dash time but if i care at all about it it's at the corner position and just with that being able to translate from a trade standpoint i want to get into something else you said because look if we were just doing a full wish list right now with bpa And it's worth considering because in the past, Nick, both me and you have preached, you should always be going BPA. You should consider BPA. But I think there's times you can't consider BPA. And this may be one of those examples. Arnold Ebicchetti is a player who me and you probably would have had number one on our wish list right now if they took Sauce Gardner instead of Kayvon Thibodeau at five overall, if the board shook out differently. I'm almost positive he'd be number one on both of our wish lists. And so with that said, is there a scenario where they can take Ebicchetti if he falls with Kayvon Thibodeau and Azizo Ojolari already on the roster. Like what would happen? Where could they play it? Would one of those guys be limited to such a situational role that it's not worth it?
1: I mean, we talk a lot about Wink Martindale and how he uses these multiple outside linebacker, multiple Sam linebacker, multiple just edge rusher fronts, almost like a NASCAR front that Steve Spagnuolo used to employ. So I think there would be situations where you would see them be used and they would each, all three of them, get 30-plus snaps a game where they would all three be on the field at the same time. So if that's the direction they want to go in, I'm okay with it. I think when you look around the roster, you see a lot of other holes at safety and at cornerback and at positions like that that make me be like, I don't know if that's the wisest way to allocate, but you want to talk about the value of the player – I can't complain because I love Arnold Epichetti, and I think him (laughs) combined with Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalari makes for one damn interesting young pass
2: rushing core. It's interesting. I think I'm out on it, and that's why they didn't make my wish list, just because I don't want a situation where one of these guys is just not on the field very often, only because there's so many, there's, you can get, in every down player at corner of safety, right? Like a potential every down player right now at corner safety. We're not talking about pick 66 right now. That's when it's different. If one of those guys fell to there or if something like they there or something like that, I'm, a, I'm open to it. I'm considering it at that range of the draft. But right now at 36, this is almost like a first-round pick for the Giants. It can be a first-round pick. They got Xavier McKinney there a couple years ago around this range. So you can get some studs at this pick. And so right now I'm probably out on that. But let me ask you about another player who is on your wish list who didn't make my wish list. And we'll get into some more players that are on both of our wish lists. And that player is Malik Willis, the quarterback out of Liberty, who a lot of people expected to go in the first round of the draft. Pretty surprising he fell out. He's on your wish list now. He's not on mine. Make your case for why he made your wish list, I should, I should say.
1: Well, honestly, it's not just my wish list. It's if the New York Giants have a conviction or had a conviction about this player, but realized that the roster wasn't in a place to invest in a quarterback and they could find players that are ranked higher than Malik Willis in the first round, a la Kayvon Thibodeau and a Nevin Neal. Let's go in another direction and go with those players rather than the quarterback that we're still a little iffy on. But if they do have any sort of conviction about him, I think there's a conversation to be had to make that selection here at thirty-six rather than spending a first-round pick on him where you could have found a franchise edge and a franchise right tackle, which hopefully the New York Giants found. So we know the traits. We know that this NFL game, this current game of the NFL, is being predicated on plays that are off structure and plays that are explosive. And I think that Malik Willis is excellent at extemporizing and extending plays and making plays like that he doesn't necessarily play too well within the confines of the offense because liberty's offense was very simplistic and when his first read wasn't there he typically bailed because he was a better athlete than everybody else down there it's not translatable to the nfl i think there's a lot of work there but if they did believe that he was an option he's here at 36 no one expected it there has to be a conversation I don't necessarily want to go in that direction, but if they did, I would not be pissed at all because I'm just going to trust the fact that they did their due diligence on this kid. They had him in for a private visit, and if they do feel like there is any chance of him being that franchise guy, you can get him at an extreme value right here.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't be mad at all. I don't know why he didn't make my wish list the more I think about it, but I think ultimately I just think they're in a better position to take a first-round quarterback. You're banking on an outlier. I just spoke about how I'm willing to do it on McCreary though. So I should be willing to do it then <laughs> on Willis. But the fact of the matter is you have a worse than one in 20 chance of hitting on a quarterback after in, in round two and on, which is just insanely bad numbers. It's like an even bigger outlier than anything we've, we've previously discussed. But you know, with that said, I love the traits I've, this is the only quarterback I studied this entire class. And I watched a bunch of games from him. I watched a bunch of 2020 where he actually had a decent team around him and he took them really far for Liberty. He won a lot of games. And, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts this, this uh, cycle. One of the best ones I heard was the Greg Cassell and uh, the, the former quarterbacks coach for the 49ers, Rick Sangrello, who's now working somewhere in college football. He talked about what he looks for in quarterbacks There's a few things, and this is an old or only a Corsi thing, but one of the key things is a lot of starts at the collegiate level. But he said the main thing he looks for is a quarterback who elevates the program, whatever that program may be, to a height that they haven't previously reached. And Willis did that with Liberty in 2020. To be quite honest, Kenny Pickett did it with Pittsburgh this year. And Malik Willis elevated his program in 2020, not so much in 2021, but, look, he throws the out better than anyone in the in this class, and that's a key throw in the NFL. He throws over the top better than anyone in this class. It's not just a drive throw. It's a touch throw. He's a really good touch on his over-the-top passes. And he's an actual playmaking beast in the open field, better than a lot of these guys that came out. He reminds me a lot of Michael Vick in the open field. I really do feel that. He doesn't have that kind of speed whatsoever, but that kind of juking ability and lateral agility. So, look, if they have a conviction on him they take him at thirty six. I'll bank on hope on him being the outlier, but I think ultimately for me, he just didn't make my list. Let's talk about a couple of players who did make both of our lists. they are two receivers, Christian Watson out of North Dakota State and George Pickens out of Georgia. What do you like about these players?
1: Size. They're both very, very big. I think Christian Watson
2: needs to improve on quite a bit with
1: his game route running for one ability to make contested catches. Secondly, he didn't dominate the FCS level, but we spoke pretty extensively on the fact that he was in a run oriented offense, but then he goes to the senior bowl and he goes to the combine and the dude just ascends meteorically. And it's because of his size and his athletic ability. And you see just some of his movement skills. They're very, very rare i think that he's a player that was i think my 10th ranked receiver in this class so there's receivers that i'm probably going to like better than christian watts but i understand why you would go in that direction if you feel like you have a smart and wise developmental plan for him as for george pickens dude if that dude didn't get injured this year and he ended up returning and making some big plays to help georgia win the national championship if he never got injured he might have already been drafted right now because he has the size he is just an absolute dog he has this temperament where he wants to just like you know punish defensive backs that could get him in trouble to be honest but he is the prototype x receiver that you can align on the back side of three by one sets or on the front side of three by one sets and he can just work that boundary and make contested catches and he is pretty damn athletic as well he's not just some big plotter out there. So I feel like he's another one that I'm sitting there at 36 and I'm considering it. Sky Moore is another player I'll throw in into who's also available. He's more of a smaller type of guy. Who's a route technician, really, really tough after the catch good sure handed type of guy who really just knows how to get open essentially. So if the giants are going to go wide receiver at 36. They have three pretty unique options that could be available for them. Although I think well, at least one of them will be off the board by that point.
2: I'm not as into more as you are. I think if I'm going receiver here, I want it to be an X prototype and both Watson and Pickens were my guys. Watson to me, a lot of it is what he didn't do. They didn't ask him to be the alpha receiver there in a sense that they ran a lot there at North Dakota state. But when they did call on his number, he displayed traits and speed on the outside that will immediately help the giants, that ability to be the knife in the defense from the outside And to be used on end arounds on jet sweeps, he's really good after the catch too. And he's got really good lateral agility for somebody who's such a straight line beast. I think he has a good leaping ability though. I think he can show, you know, more signs, like you said, of doing things like making contested catches. I have issues with his hands and I have issues with the fact that he really wasn't in a lot of contested catch situations over the middle from when I watched him. But those you can hopefully project will be better at the next like those are just pure projection based things because he just wasn't asked to do them as far as pickings there's some off-field stuff some people that i talk to who are big georgia fans say he just didn't bring it on every snap that leads me to believe he's not going to be on the giants radar but he's on my wish list here because he is a true alpha he's six foot three he can play that exposition he has speed he's one of the best ball tracking vertical threats i saw in this class he high points the ball he can win underneath he can win in every single way and, and i got weird kind of aj uh green vibes from him and i don't know if that's just because he wore the same jersey but i got those vibes when watching his tape these are true alphas i'm not interested in more because i don't want one of these undersized receivers here they did it with sterling shepherd there's still th- you know there's value to it you can find some guys but if I'm going to take a guy who's undersized, he better be of that like freakish Jameson Williams, um, Jalen Waddle type af- just explosiveness. And I don't really see that in Moore's game. I think he's really good. I think he's really tough. I think somebody compared him to Golden Tate, and I could see him being a Golden Tate. But I'd just rather have a lot of these corners, safeties, Leo Chenault types over him right now at this at this spot. I want to talk about some other guys on your wish list because just looking at over it right now, Nick, no linemen on your wish list. Again, this could be a character-based issue because you did have some issues with fitting everything on Twitter according to the character limits. But a couple linemen that I would be interested to hear your thoughts on them taking at 36 because I think most people would consider it a reach, but I'm just curious what you think. Zach Tom and Luke Godkey. Would that be a reach for you? Would those picks be a reach for you? Or are they potential options for you? And I said, um, my second wish list was if the Giants trade back from 36 into like the 50s and 60s range. So that's kind of where I'd be looking to target those types of players. But what are your thoughts there?
1: I would like that, to be honest, to trade back. And I haven't seen enough of Gettakee to to really opine on that. Zach Tom, I feel like it's a little bit early for that just because you don't see the run blocking dog in him. I think he's an yeah. absolutely smooth and effective pass blocker who i know the word crafty is a little ambiguous and gets thrown around a lot but he is damn crafty with his hands and he's got gigantic hands but i think at 36 that'd be a little bit too rich for me as much as i do love zach tom just because you look around I and mean, we brought up roger mccreary's name and yeah he's an outlier but he's somebody that i would prefer over all of those players we haven't even brought up logan hall yet and yes he's a defensive lineman slash edge but i feel like you could do so many different things with him and he's another one who's tailor-made for wink martindale scheme just because he is so scheme versatile and that's the edge defensive lineman out of houston more so of a defensive lineman about 275 to 280 pounds the cornerbacks that we mentioned before and then players like the linebackers like leo chanel like nicobe dean like chad muma out of wyoming i i I look at those guys those guys i'd prefer at 36 rather than probably an offensive lineman and there are all their offensive linemen that we didn't even bring up i'd prefer sean ryan and Jamari Sawyer and Dylan Parham over Zach Tom as well. So I still think 36, maybe not. Maybe that's more of a trade back type of situation just because you have Jaquan Brisker, somebody else I didn't even bring up before who I would love at 36. So I just like other players that I feel like will be available relative to the grades that I have on the interior offensive line and who I do hope they address, but maybe not at 36. Yeah,
2: I think you're on to something. I just don't see it at 36 for the interior offensive line. I know a lot of fans want it, we want it too. We would have loved the double up on the O-line with two of their first three picks, but it just doesn't seem to be falling to that. I think there's going to be some value potentially at 66 for them to take an offensive lineman or at 81. So that's kind of the better play there, I think. And one other question for you before we wrap this up and maybe touch a little bit on I mean, we just threw out some names potentially for round three. we'll We'll, we'll be tweeting it out. I think it's kind of a little silly to get into the potential now because we just don't know how the board's going to fall. Um, but one name who didn't make my list, I think it's pretty obvious for anyone who listened to, but the podcast, why he didn't, but also didn't make your list. And that is, and, and yet a lot of giants fans are tweeting me about him and they want to talk about him. And let me just say this quickly, cause I forgot this, but it's important to say Logan hall, who Nick mentioned was one of the giants top 30 visits. So just keep that on your radar. As we get to 36, they might be more interested in hall than we know right now and they might view him as somebody who they just think is such a good value they can't pass up even after going with Thibodeau but a player that I'm talking about here who didn't make your list and didn't come close to making mine I'd almost even consider passing over him at 66 I'm not kidding I actually probably would and that's tight end Trey McBride a lot of people are tweeting me Trey McBride Giants should take him they got to take McBride or N'Kobe Dean here at 36 got to take him got to take him got to take him he didn't make your list though which is which uh, I don't want to say I'm surprised by it but why didn't he make your list? He didn't make my list just
1: because I like a lot of tight ends. Trey McBride is my number one tight end. I like Jeremy Ruckert a lot. I think Greg Dolce can do a lot of things from a receiving standpoint for you. But I also like Charlie Kohler a little later. I like Kate Otten a little later. So I'm looking for tight end. Not Hey, don't Ferguson.
2: forget Jake Ferguson.
1: Jake Ferguson, definitely, bro. This is not a podcast that is going to slander Mr. <laughs> Ferguson. And Trust me, I would. If, if I watched this film and was like, Dan, shut up, dude. You're just being a homer. The dude can play some football and he's a dog as a blocker. So I'm looking at 36, dude. And you know what? To give just only five names, like let's give six names. The Giants pick at 36. There's going to be four picks until their pick. I would take Jaquan Brisker, Jalen Petrie, Andrew Booth, Kyler Gordon, and one of those linebackers, dude. So there's just so many other things that I think I prefer and that you can get out of value. And if you miss out on Trey McBride, That's unfortunate. I like Trey McBride, but I still think you can get tight ends later on that will have an impact on your team. Jake Ferguson being one of them. So I I just think 36 is a little rich. If they go in that direction, I won't be all that pissed. I know you probably will be, but I just like the idea of adding other players more so on the defense, to be honest, unless it's a wide receiver, at least that's what it looks like just by looking at my uh, wish list right here.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be too pissed at anything at this point when it comes to the giants, but I won't be happy with the McBride pick. We went over it on a few podcasts ago. There's an insane bust rate for second and third round tight ends in the past 10 years. And there's an insane bust rate at this position in general. This is a position that does not translate well to the NFL. This is a position where there's very few good players at it, the NFL level. So if I'm taking one at 36, I have to be super sure. And when I watch Trey McBride on tape, I see almost a zero when it comes to post catchability, and that's playing at the Colorado State level. I can't even imagine what his post catchability is, at the NFL level. and that's okay. People accept that. you know people like McBride say, no, that's all right. he's not a post catch guy. He's just a, he, he's, got, he's a crafty chain mover. But I don't know if that translates for sure. I look at his body type. He thinks he there's potentially could be a blocker, but he's not a blocker yet, but it looks like he could be. He doesn't look like he has that wide of a frame to me to be this unbelievable blocker, even if he learns to get better at it. I think he can be good there, maybe adequate there, a little above that. But look, I don't see it. I think there's too high of a bust rate at the position, and he does not seem special to me at all when I watch his tape. So 36 is way too rich for my blood when you're talking about passing on guys like Brisker, Petrie, any of the corners you mentioned, Leo Chanel, like guys who are proven that they can do something immediately. You put Leo Chanel out there. He's immediately going to help your run defense and probably going to help your pass rush. I don't know if necessarily that McBride's immediately helping their passing game. I'm just not sold on it.
1: I'm trying to go through this. I think my ideal situation, Dan and about McBride, I would like to land him, but I get where you're coming from. Ideal situation. You trade back at 36 and let Seattle jump up in one of those teams. So you drop to like 40, 41 around that area. Right. And you get another day three. So now you have four day two picks. You get one of those interior offensive linemen, either Ryan Parham or Sawyer, or maybe a Zach Tom. You get a linebacker, maybe a Channing Tyndall, and the Kobe Deans off the board by that point. So you go with the Channing Tyndall, or you could spend that 40th pick on a Leo Chanel or Chad Muma, depending. Or if you don't and you get Chandler later, you can get a Jalen Petrie or Jaquan Brisker with that 40th pick. And then you can go after the tight end before you go into day three, or possibly a running back. I don't know, man. I I think the options for day two are just as enticing. And they're not as good as players, obviously, as day one. But like, I'm going to come away from day two being like, oh, man, like, this roster's really forming out, I feel like unless they just totally blow it out their ass, which I don't expect.
2: No, I'm just as excited about it as you and remember, in both of me and Nick's mocks, we traded back from 36. And I think this is the, this is actually the best spot they could have to trade back from. I said it Throughout the process, I was never really all that interested in trading back from five or seven. I saw blue chips in range. They got two of them. It worked out better than I could have imagined, but they got two anyway. 36, I've always felt could have been a good spot to trade back. And even if they do, but this is one where I'm like, I'm bored with the rumors from before earlier in the day, which was, look, if Joe Shane is going to trade back from seven, he doesn't want to move too far back. I'm on that train. If they're going to move back from 36, they don't want to move back too far. But, like you said, get into the 44, 45, 46, 47 range. You're still probably going to get one of these guys we really like because not everybody picking from 36 to 47 is going to need a safety or need a corner. And so, there's a good chance you're going to have a You're going to be able to get a brisker. You're going to be able to get a Petrie. Maybe you're going to be able to get Gordon, one of these corners that we like or Chanel, or you just trade back and Chanel's still on the board. And you say, you know, what? we can take Chanel. Then, like you said, we also have another pick to play with. So we can then take a luxury of taking a chance on a trade McBride. Cause I see the upside with McBride. I get why you guys like him. I just also see a way higher bust rate than I see for a lot of these other players. And that's kind of where I'm at there.
1: One question I have for you before we get out of here. What if they go defensive line, not Logan Hall, with a Travis Jones from Yukon, a Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma, or for Darien Mathis from Alabama?
2: Yeah, that'd be interesting. Interior defensive line there. That's not something I want to happen, to be completely honest. Like like a Travis Jones, the kid from Yukon, who people like a lot. No, I don't I definitely don't want that to
1: happen. I think in round three, if you're talking to me about a Federian Mathis, yeah, I, three. Think, I think Winfrey and Jones will be gone by that point, but I think Mathis could still be around. And I hate doing like the helmet scouting thing and everything like that, but I did watch his tape and be like, This guy kind of reminds me of Dalvin Tomlinson a little
2: bit. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. That's so, like, raise.
1: maybe not as effective at the point of attack, but someone who has maybe a little bit more of a pass rushing upside than a Dalvin Tomlinson. But somebody who's very, very smart, is always in position, isn't going to get out-muscled out of position, and just has very effective hand usage. So that's kind of where I where I linked those. Yeah, I thought you meant for
2: 36. For, for round no. three, it's a different discussion, for sure. Yeah.
1: Like, I'm trying to be realistic. I don't think Jones and Winfrey will be around for for 67, they, they could be, but uh, I think Mathis might be, and I think that could be an option. And obviously there are links, as we talked about on the last podcast, between the Alabama program and, yeah. and the New York Giants right now. And Mathis seems to be that kind of guy who's all, all football, all in, that kind of thing, That really all the cliches that coaches love.
2: Yeah, they love those cliches. They're building a program here, and we like the direction they're moving in. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to the Big Blue Bandrick podcast. Keep it locked and loaded with us on Twitter. And on the pod, we're going to have Day 2 Reaction Pod and Day 3 Targets Pod coming up tomorrow night, late night. It is oh, it was past 4 a.m. I can't believe how late it is. I hope I can fall asleep tonight. I'm gonna. The good news is I don't have to work tomorrow until at night for CBS. So I, got, I can sleep in. So there we go. So we got that going first, and that's nice. All right, everybody, have a good rest of your day or morning or night, whenever you're listening to this. And we'll talk to you soon.